Michael Murphy is a motivational speaker, a paralyzed athlete, and a writer. His journey began in April 2007 when he fell off a roof in college, shattered his spine, and was paralyzed. At that time, he was 21 years old. Before this interview, when I asked Michael if there was a time in his life when he felt hopeless or helpless, his answer shocked me, and it is going to shock you as well. Michael's story and encouragement that you will get today is exactly what we need to hear. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. When I asked Michael to be on Never Ever Give Up Hope, I asked him if there was a time in his life when he felt hopeless or helpless. And this is his answer. Well, nothing major comes to mind. I've always felt that I've had help in bad situations as well as hope. Now this comment comes from a man whose story is going to, I'm not sure how many of you might relate to it, but you certainly will be inspired by it. You will be encouraged by it. You will be lifted up by it. And you do not want to miss any part of Michael's story. So to begin, Michael, let's start from the beginning. Tell us your backstory, your childhood, whatever you would like to share. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on, Carol. I really appreciate it. So I grew up a pretty normal kid uh, in Northern Virginia. Um, I come from a, a loving, warm family of of really competitive athletes. Uh, my brother and sister played sports in college, and I have a, a lot of really competitive people in my family. And, and And I grew up playing all the sports: the little leagues, the, the baseball, the football, the basketball. And and um, I, I sort of shined on the athletic field, not so much in the classroom. We we may have had some sit downs with some headmasters of of in eighth grade. <laughs> wondering maybe you shouldn't go on to our high school because uh it's a little too tough for you but um but i showed them um <laughs> but i i eventually i made it through high school i went to um, a school called the potomac school uh in mclean virginia and um during that time i i happened to excel playing football and baseball um enough so where i i decided to to be a pitcher and a fullback in college at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia, just north of Richmond. And it was there that I sort of, I sort of came out of my shell academically and, and athletically. Um, like I said, I never really shined as a, as a, as a scholar until I took some history classes and, um, and really took some stuff that I, I was really became passionate about, some military history classes. During that time, I, I played one year of baseball um, for the Yellow Jackets and two years of football until I decided to, to retire. I wanted to focus on just being a, a college kid um, mm-hmm. and, and joining my fraternity. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade, I went down to my dad's um, 50th fraternity reunion and, and just seeing the camaraderie, the brotherhood um, and what that did after all those years, it, it, it really had an impact on me. And, um, and that, that brotherhood actually plays a role later down the road after I, I have my accident. So, so it's, it's relevant to mention. So in, in the spring of 2007, I'm a, I'm a junior, I'm a 21 year old junior and I had just retired. I'd, I'd hung up the cleats, hung up the glove 
um, to focus on history. One Saturday night, I, and it was actually that, that, that day, I also played a lot of golf growing up. I, my, I played a lot with my brother and my dad. And that, that afternoon, I went out with a bunch of my buddies, a bunch of my fraternity friends. And if anybody listening knows golf and, and they're a fan of golf, they play golf, you know that breaking 90 and shooting in the 80s, that's a really, that's a really significant accomplishment that a lot of golfers remember. Mm-hmm. And on April, on April 21st, I broke 90 for the very first time. And uh, I was ecstatic. I, I, I couldn't wait to call my dad and, and, and tell him. And um, so I was excited. My, all my friends were excited because it was a Saturday. One of the, there, was a, there was an 80s party that night. We all had our outfits. And um, the, the plan was to go out and enjoy the evening. And, and one buddy of mine, he said, you know, late, it's, it's nice. Later on, let's, let's meet down at my house and, and we'll go hang out up on the roof and, and just sort of you know, finish the night there. So we're going through the night and, and uh, Sigma Alpha Epsilon is having a, a big rager, so to speak. And, and uh, I'm 21 years old at the time, so I am of age and things get a little hazy um, as a lot of college happens mm-hmm. with a lot of college kids. Eventually, I find myself down campus with my buddy, Nick Jones, and we're backing his truck up to the back of his, his sort of one-story house with the pitched roof. And on the side, they're hugging one side, there's a chimney. And uh, we climb up there, no big deal. And um, I'm, I'm not entirely sober, to, to, to be perfectly honest. And uh, We, we assumed that. Right, exactly. I'll just, I'll just put it mildly. And um, I, I don't remember a lot of the specific events leading up to it, but what I do remember is, is losing my balance. I remember bricks of the chimney, the very top of it, breaking oh. free in my hand. Oh my! And word. then for the next one to two seconds, it's black as I free fall. And as I say in my book, gravity introduced me to the earth and my spine exploded. The next thing I know, I am laying flat on my back. I'm looking up at just a tapestry of beautiful stars in the sky, and I'm, I, I, I'm struggling to breathe. I don't feel any pain, but I notice that there's figures hovering around me and, mm. and silhouettes. I, I can't see any, any faces, but I can hear words. My friend's saying, Michael, hold on. Just lay down. Stay there. Stay still. Don't move. Don't move. And I hear the paramedics are on the way. And one of those voices, the first one I recognize is my buddy, Nick Jones, who is one of my best friends in college and still one of my best friends to this day. They, they say that the paramedics are, are on their way. And what happens next? A, a lot of people, they don't really believe me. And I say it's, it's the moment where I knew, where I knew what happened to me. And I distinctly remember trying to sit up and move my legs and nothing happened. It just absolutely felt like they were encased in a block of cement. And when that happened, I remember laying my head back down, just sort of resigned to to my fate because I knew that I was instantly paralyzed. The reason I knew that is because I'm the second spinal cord injury in my family. Oh, really? I am. Yeah. Um, I've only ever known my Aunt Paige, my mom's youngest sister, as a quadriplegic who used a big power wheelchair. When I was young, I loved to run up and press the little horn on her, on her hand controls and, and, and ride around on the back with her. Um, but she was in a car accident when I was, vi- when I was just a baby. Um, sadly, she recently, she recently passed uh, due to some complications, but, but we had an amazing relationship. And so because I was aware of, of paralysis and spinal right, cord injury, right. when that happened, I, I knew. And I just laid there. And the next thing I know, there's paramedics around me. And they are strapping me in. They're putting the neck brace on. They are rolling me to the side. They're putting the, the backboard underneath me and, and, and lifting me up and putting me onto the gurney. And I remember getting into the back of the ambulance with all the bright lights and all the noise and all the commotion. And they're asking for my number. And then it hits me that they want to call my parents. Oh, okay. And right. just, that, just that sinking feeling of, of knowing that my parents were going to get probably one of the worst phone calls a parent never wants mm-hmm. to get besides the ultimate one. 
and they got that phone call at two thirty six in the morning, and I, and I still feel terrible to this day that they that they uh. got that. But what happened to me has been one of the most fortunate misfortunes in my life, and and what what came next was a long road to recovery, and that starting with the ICU, and and then we can we can get into what happens after that here in a minute. But that was that was that was the the end of my old life and the beginning of my my new life where. I was a 21-year-old kid. I was a two-sport athlete, recently retired. I had just discovered an absolute love for history and writing and reading and academics. And because of that love of history and military history, I was also planning on a year out after I graduate, going into the Marine Corps to go to officer candidate school, to become an officer, and to, to do my part for my country and to serve. We just don't know what's going to happen in our life at any moment. We, we just don't know. We don't know when, when we're going to be plucked up from our old life and spit out into a brand new one where you have to learn everything over. You have to learn how to sit up, how to get dressed, how to put your clothes on, how to take care of yourself, how to go to the bathroom, how to transfer in and out of your wheelchair, in and out of your car, into a shower, onto a toilet. Everything starts over when you have a spinal cord injury and, and your, your spine is, is severed, in my case, or, or for a lot of people out there, it might be an incomplete injury versus my complete injury. But my life completely changed on April 22nd, 2007. And like I said, it's been the most fortunate misfortune I ever could have asked for. It's given me strength that I never could have imagined I, I could find within myself. It's, it's afforded me opportunities and new goals that wouldn't be possible if I didn't fall off that roof. Not to mention, I probably never would have met my wife and I wouldn't have the child that I have now, a little, my little two-year-old man, Dylan. Um, and I, I, can, I can get into that in, in a little bit, but we just don't know when we're going to get that phone call or the news or the diagnosis or when that trauma or that life crisis is going to hit us. And um, I've been fortunate to for 21 years leading up to my accident, I now look back at that as almost like a boot camp, preparing me to live the life that I'm living now as a paraplegic. When I was in uh, a, a freshman in high school, I broke my femur in a football game and I started high school in a wheelchair with a big leg brace on. Mm. I had a lot of moments in sports that taught me about being competitive and, and persevering and not giving up and pushing forward. M more so, I think I might've learned those lessons on the academic side where I where it didn't come quite as easily to me as the sports did, but the people around me, the parents, the friends, the coaches, the teachers, everything I experienced barely getting into high school and then, and then making it through and, and finding a love of school and, and all of that stuff, I, I believe, prepared me. Uh, and one of those is I remember when I was, when I was young and I was cleaning out the garage with my dad and, uh, we happened to buy a house that was already ADA accessible because we bought it from a lady who had MS. So <laughs> oh the, the house, that, the house that I always grew up in had an elevator. It had a ramp <laughs> out, out the back and it had a, a, a two-sided, uh, ramp in our garage. And one day when we were cleaning the garage, my dad told me to get way under under the the part of the ramp where no one goes and no one sees, and and I sort of objected. I, I was like, "Dad, why do we need to clean all the way under there? No one's going to see it." And he says, "Because when you work, you don't half-ass it. Right. When you're doing a job and you're working, you put everything into it." And that stuck with me. What my college football coach told me about the only two things that we can control in life is our attitude and our effort. That has stuck with me. And all of those things have come together at, at the time as, as a 21-year-old 20, young kid in, in the prime of his youth where he literally had to start back over from square one. And, and that's what I did. I had to start back over from square one. But the person I, I, I was leading up to that, a happy kid, outgoing kid, loved to work hard, loved to be competitive and be the best, all of that really came together when I needed it most, 
when it came to starting my rehab after you know being in the ICU and having surgery and and getting the rods and screws in my back and and getting the back brace that I had to wear for three months while in the hospital. And so I just I see the first 21 years of my life as as a boot camp almost that prepared me for the way I'm living now. And 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 I'm still sort of I'm I'm still fighting day to day, and, and there's still struggles. L- later on, I'll, I'll sort of tell you about my second spinal cord injury that I recently had. But it's it's just another reminder that even when we've gone through something, and, and you know this as well as anybody, and, and all of the guests that you have on, Carol, that just because you have one crisis or trauma or tragedy doesn't mean you're immune for another one to come. And and I think we all have to remember that. We all have to. We all have to be prepared. We all have to be prepared to face that when it comes. And I've learned so much in this life as a paraplegic. And I feel like it's part of my purpose to just pass along some of the words of wisdom that I've, I've learned and just some of the tricks of the trade about what it means to be resilient and what it means to, to move past our plot twists in life. And, uh, and especially finding hope in, in what a lot of people may think is a hopeless situation when it's really not. And, um, and, and that's, and that's why I, I'm so fortunate that you're having me on today is just to share some of the messages that, that have helped me just so I can pay it forward to help somebody else. Because in terms, when it comes to spinal cord injuries in the United States, there's 18,000 new cases a year. And it's weird to think that right now there's people walking around who have not had their spinal cord injury yet this year, but they will because the statistics say that that will happen. And I hope when that happens, my book, my words, my, my actions can, can maybe give them a little bit of a roadmap of how to move forward positively. We could very easily uh, sign off right now because you, (laughs) (laughs) you have touched everything that I would want to ask you in that the dilemma, the guilt, the fear, the trauma, everything that you went through, an attitude, how to maintain a positive attitude no matter what happens. And even so much as what you shared about be prepared. Be prepared. I think this is one of the messages that's coming across really clear. Be prepared, attitude-wise in particular, for something that may be inevitable in your life. Would you not agree with that? I agree 110%. And so this is the bottom line message is in respect to everything that we just discussed is what kept you focused? What did you hang on to? Because you had those moments like we just mentioned. There is no, no question, no doubt. And you are still battling in certain areas of your life and probably always will, as many of us do. But what kept you focused in particular? There was a number of things that kept me focused. And, and I'm just, I'm thinking back right now to the time when I was in the ICU down at, at the hospital in Richmond, Virginia. And when I started my inpatient rehab, um, I was there for a month. There was a lot of things that kept me positive. And, and I'm not saying that I didn't have moments here and there of darkness, of tough times, especially when I was alone. But I was so fortunate to be surrounded by so much love and support mm-hmm. that it almost made it tough at times to get down on myself. Mm-hmm. I was in the hospital 20 minutes down I-95 from where I went to school and an hour and a half down 95 from where I grew up. So there was a constant influx of p- friends from school family, friends from home and all over the area coming to visit me, as well as getting unbelievable message on, on Facebook and, and cards from people. And, and just the show of support that I had around me was incredible. And another big thing that kept me focused were my goals. And I think that's right. When, when we get down and we get, and, and we fall into that hole, how do we get back up to the top? We climb the rungs of the ladder to get back up there. And those rungs are, are made up of little victories, small goals that, that lead to the bigger goal. My, one of my first goals was just to make it to Randolph-Macon's graduation in, in a month's time to see the seniors above me graduate. That, that was one thing that kept me motivated. Another thing was 
was my my faith. And I've heard some stories from some of your past guests about certain Bible verses that come into their life at just just the right time when they're supposed to happen. And for me, one of those was Isaiah 40, 31, which is now tattooed down my left tricep across from across from another verse that I'll, uh, another phrase that I'll, I'll get to in just a minute. And it's those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. I might've mixed that up. You get the gist of it. <laughs> and it showed up in, in, in get well cards. It, it showed up on um, a Sunday service show I was watching on TV. My mom found it at the front of a specific Bible that she had because the creator thought that this was just the one verse you have to remember. And it just kept popping up and popping up. And I, I'd come, I'd grown up in a religious family, N- not super, super religious, but this was kind of what really awakened me. Uh-huh. So I had this, I had this growing faith helping me. I had a goal of, of, of not, not only getting to graduation and, and getting out of rehab in X amount of time, despite a lot of the staff and nurses warning my parents that he might need to dial it back some and that his, his attitude right now that is so positive, it's not going to last. They, they warned my parents of this and, and they said, well, you don't know our son. And, and they, they didn't know, they didn't know. And, and another bigger goal was just to regain, to recover, to regain my strength, but also to regain my independence because my accident happened, my accident happened five weeks out from the end of the school year. So I missed five weeks of school and I, but I wanted to be able to come back in the fall for my senior year and to be able to graduate on time. So that's kind of the bigger big picture goal that I'm mm-hmm. working on each, mm-hmm. each day. But then there was another thing. One day my mom was down and it, she was, so when any of our family members are in the hospital, nobody is there alone at any point. So essentially what my parents did, they, they rented a condo across the street and they essentially moved down to Richmond and were there constantly. And one day my mom was in a salon and she, for some reason she opened up to this lady, this stranger sitting next to her, in any other circumstances, she wouldn't have opened up the way that she did. And my mom actually doesn't remember this because she was, the whole, me being in the hospital is such a a, a black spot to her. And she starts telling this woman about about me, what happened, I'm in the hospital. And she says that her husband is a former retired Navy SEAL and they live in the area. Well, wouldn't you know that the next day I get a knock on my door and I get a visit while well, I'm, I'm I, just, I just finished up a day of rehab and I get a visit from a real retired Navy SEAL. And this sort of it just it, it just it just hits me right to the core as somebody who in that moment was struggling with the fact that I I will never be able to live out my goal and my dream of becoming a soldier, becoming a, an officer in the Marine Corps. And this man sits down and, and we start to talk, we get to talking, we talk for a while and I tell him about what's going on and how I'm doing physically, but also mentally. Uh, and he tells me stories about his experiences in BUDS and, and how they didn't go, we didn't go day to day or week to week. We went meal to meal. We went one evolution at a time. We didn't worry about what came next. But then he gave me a gift. When he walked in, I had noticed he was, he was carrying this, looked like a picture frame, but it was made out of stone. And in it, when he handed it to me, I, I looked at it. And in that stone was carved the phrase that has since gone down in history. It said, never, never, never give up. And that has sat next to my every bedside, wherever I've lived, from Northern Virginia to Denver, Colorado, and it's been by my bedside ever since. And I know now in 2022 that the phrase never give up, to some people it, it's been overused. It, it might not have the same, right, uh, right. pack the same punch. It might be sound cliche. But back in 2007, the internet and social media wasn't what it was. And, and it really hadn't taken hold as much. And so 
I, I bought into what that Navy SEAL told me. I proceeded to attack my adversity and to attack rehab as if somebody had just lit a fire under my you-know-what, and, and I was just flying on all, all cylinders with the goal, the competitive goal of being the best at recovery, to be the best in rehab, to, to learn this, learn that, and, and to, to make it to graduation and to get out of the hospital and to recover faster than anyone. And so all of those things combined with my family and friends and the messages and, and the faith and the, just the words of encouragement, all of that really kept me focused on my goals, even in times of just not so much depression, but just maybe anger, frustration, um, woe is me because my back hurt or I had an accident and I was wearing diapers because like I said, when you're a spinal cord injury, you start back at square one because you don't you no longer have control of any of your bodily functions and everything is chaotic and haywire. But I always return to a lot of that faith and, and that, that picture frame of the never, never give up. And, um, and, and that's helped me ever since. Um, and I, on the other arm, I have never, never give up in, uh, in Greek, um, which is sort of a nod to my, yeah. my love for ancient history. And, and when I, when I took a Greek language, when I was studying in college, when I was studying some ancient history and, um, so I have a permanent reminder, literally on one arm, to never, never give up. And then on the other arm, to have hope in the Lord, that he will renew my strength. And, uh, and, and he absolutely did. And so that's, that's just kind of one message I want to get across. And I know at times telling people, oh, just, just never give up. It can sound cliche and overused, and we hear it a ton, and it, it's just noise to some people. But if you really buy into it, it's amazing what you can do when you, when you do that and you have the right attitude and effort and, and you, you make a conscious decision to rise up and reroute the course that you're on. And that reminds me of, of, of what it means to be resilient to me. And, and I I think resiliency is the ability to, to rise up and, and make a decision to reroute your course combined with our own past experiences to, to get back to life, to, to get back to doing what, what we want to do to be happy, despite whatever crisis or traumas we've been dealt. I agree with you that the quote, never, ever, or never, never, never give up can be cliche. But when you need it, it's a positive message that you will have in your psyche. And this is, I know, what your message has been. And I don't think we can ever say it enough. Because there's, we live in such a negative world, and more so in the last couple of years than ever. Oh, and yeah. when when we have those moments, and we may have a bad moment, and we can remember, so-and-so said, Michael Murphy did it, and this one did it, and that one did it. And he also said how much my attitude affects my future. But essentially, it's keeping that positive message in front of us is what is going to get us through just as it did you and even putting it on you know on your on your arms I'm assuming your tattoos are on your arms yes you know it's constantly in your in your vision in your focus and so I really thank you for that I'm very touched as you're speaking and I know the audience is as well there are a few more things of course that we need to talk about today and we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back we're going to talk about Christopher Reeve Foundation and what you have accomplished in, uh, for them. Also, definitely, we're going to be talking about your book. So we'll oh, yeah. be right back in just a moment. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. 
Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. I don't know about anyone else, but I am... See? I don't have a word for it. <laughs> I literally don't have a word for it. You know, inspired is an overused word. Even encouragement is an overused word. But I think you have touched on something that this audience really needs to hear, especially in today's world. And having an attitude, having the foresight you know, that you have and that you are giving to others, we need more of it. And I really appreciate you being on today, Michael, and sharing that. So before we go too much further into your story, there are a couple more things that I want to ask you. In 2008, you found a new passion. Now, this is just shortly after your accident. And you were introduced to hand cycling and adaptive sports. Your first race was with the Marine Corps Marathon after you teamed up with the Christopher and Dana Foundation to raise money for spinal cord research and you were you raised $50,000 so touch on that just a little bit and share that with us please yeah absolutely um adaptive sports sort of came into my life abruptly one day when I came home and my mom asked would you like to raise money for spinal cord injury research and get in really good shape at the same time and before she was finished I said yes and I had no idea what she was talking about Come to find out that she had some connections with the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, and they had offered to give me a spot in the 2008 Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C., in exchange for being on their their team Reeve, and all I had to do was raise a minimum of $1,500 towards their research. So I linked up with an organization um, called Achilles Freedom Team, and where they loaned me uh, a hand cycle that I trained on for the next couple months. And during that time, I, I spread the word about what I was doing. And before I knew it, I, my fundraising totals were over $20,000. The day came, I raced in my, my first marathon, um, just a little bit over two hours, but I was having so much fun. I had a, a huge group of, of friends there and family. And it really ignited a new passion that was missing ever since I retired from sports and then had my accident, which is just that, that competitive side is that the, the fact that I was quote unquote training for something and I, and I had something to work for. And that was really the beginning of just my entry into the world of adaptive sports and trying all of them as quickly as I, as I could, everything from, you know, wheelchair rugby to, to skiing, to hand cycling, to, to sled hockey, um, but I really took to hand cycling and, um, and the following year I, I teamed up with the t- team Reeve again, and I, I raised another almost $20,000. Um, and I, I did another Marine Corps marathon and then, and then I decided oh, I want to do more of this. And I got into to more and more races, doing time trials and road races and going to, national championships and and meeting a whole new group of people I never would have befriended uh, if it wasn't for my accident and, and adaptive sports. And uh, and at this time, I was also in grad school at, at George Mason University, um, working towards my master's in American military history. Adaptive sports and, and joining up with the, the Christopher Reeve Foundation was also actually one of the things that led me towards um, towards meeting my wife, and also uh, Tough Mudder competitions. Which, if if you're not familiar with a Tough Mudder competition, it's uh, it's you know, 12 miles in the mud, and there's you know, a dozen or so <laughs> obstacles that you go through over walls, underwater, through big ice buckets, uh, through um, army crawling underneath barbed wire, and uh, and. And I, I, I represented Team Reeve again when I did this in 2012. And it was at, it was at this event. I, I did the event on a Saturday in September in 2012. The week before, I'd been asked by a former physical ther- therapist of mine, um, hey, can you come in and just be a guinea pig for my group of physical therapists as they enter Spinal Cord Injury Week? And I said, sure, why not? So I came in and... Um, 
and I had these big wounds on my knees from army crawling in the mud. And I, I gave a disclaimer to this class of kids all about my age. Uh, you know, you're probably noticing these big wounds on my knees. Uh, I was crawling through mud at this tough mudder event. And, uh, and afterwards, this one, this one girl in the class with uh, big blue eyes and, and long curly brown hair, and she's beautiful. And uh, she said, I, I was at that same <laughs> tough mutter. My sister, my sister-in-law saw you come to find out they had seen, they told Casey about this, this guy that they saw who was using an off-road hand cycle and his friends were picking him up and putting him back, putting him on the ground and putting him back in the bike. And they were lifting him over walls and helping him through mudslides. And, and turns out that that was me. And, and a couple days later, I'm in front of her in this class. And, um, and we start to talking that became my, my future wife and, and the mother of my son. And, uh, so like I said, without adaptive sports, without my accident, I never would have met my wife uh-uh. and, uh, and I never, and I wouldn't have the, the cute little terrorizing two-year-old toddler <laughs> that, that we have now who, Oh, you love, but it makes you pull your hair out at times. Uh, just be just learning how to be a parent, especially a parent in a wheelchair. That can be, that can be a little difficult mm-hmm. at times. Um, but the world of adaptive sports really gave me, um, just some amazing things in my life that were missing and that brought me back to being the athlete that I once was when I thought that those opportunities were over. And, um, and back in 2007, hand cycling was, was becoming more and more popular um, because it's easy for a lot of the wounded mm-hmm. veterans right. from Iraq and Afghanistan to hop on um, a, a bike and just go. And, and I became friends with a lot of those people. I joined up with the Paralyzed Veterans of America, um, the PVA racing team, and, uh, and they let me race with them. And they, they joke, joked with me, calling me the wannabe because I was supposed to supposed to be a veteran, but I, I wasn't able to. Um, but, you know, they, they let me race with them anyway. And over the next you know, two, three, four years, I went I traveled all up and down the East Coast doing the New York Marathon, Boston Marathon, national championships down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and outside Atlanta, Georgia, and races in uh, you know, Greenville, South Carolina, um, to Florida, and just and becoming friends with just some amazing people, guys who are double, double amputees from IEDs in Iraq and uh, former Navy SEALs who were injured in an ambush in Panama. And um, it, it really introduced me to a world of people I never would have met before. And, um, and it helped remind me that when you're going through a trauma or a struggle, that to seek out people in a similar situation, because some of the healing that I got and the best times that I had and most therapeutic times we're after a training day. We're hanging out at the, at, with our trunks open in the parking lot, you know, breaking down our gear, and we're making making fun of each other for this thing that they do as a paraplegic, or this, or that the fact that this one guy might have arm rest still on his chair, or anti tippers, or he still uses a seatbelt, and we could just <laughs> joke and mess. We could just joke and mess around with each other in a way that. You can't with right. somebody who's not exactly. in the same situation. And it was amazing how healing that was combined with just you know, being a teammate with, with those guys. And, and the time that I spent racing with PVA and, and setting the lofty goal of being a Paralympian as early as 2008 after my first marathon and then, then watching reruns of the 2008 Beijing Paralympics and and seeing guys on the podium, men and women on the podium, and I recognized that their determination, their tenacity, their relentlessness and resiliency, and their ability to push themselves and, and not quit, I, I recognized some of those traits of, of Olympic gold medalists in myself. And, yes, um, definitely. So, so that's something that, that I have been chasing for, for a long, long time. Um, up until recently, I've, I've had to make some, some life changes but I'm, I'm still not, not 100% done with, with this goal of mine. But it also led me to, to switch sports in 2015 and to get into 
uh, mono skiing as a ski racer. Really? Uh, yeah. Yep. I, I quickly, so in 2009, I, I think I got on a mono ski for the first time, but, but for the next like four or five years, the skiing in Virginia, it, it's short. It's, it's, I never really grew up skiing cause I never wanted to jeopardize the, the spring baseball season. Um, and so it was kind of just a recreational thing I did here and there, but as I got more into the racing as a hand cyclist, I realized I do not have the physical body of a cyclist. I am not long and lean and thin. I'm more of a, <laughs> I'm more of a linebacker fullback type of build. If you can picture that. And, um, I, I, I saw the writing on the wall in terms of my goal as an international athlete for team USA, as a hand cyclist, I saw that I could only get so far. And so I, I made the switch in 2015 to pursue um, a sport where my weight and size and strength could help me go faster with gravity down a mountain, sitting on a single ski in a bucket on a motorcycle shock with outriggers in my arms. And, uh, and I, and it was around that time in 2015 that my, my, my wife and I, we moved from Northern Virginia out to here in Denver, Colorado. And I, I linked up with the National Sports Center for the Disabled, um, acronym NSCD. And they have, a, they have a competition team where some of the best athletes from around the world go there to train. And um, from 2016, for the, over the next four years, I train with with um, Paralympic Paralympians from New Zealand to Chile to Great Britain. Um, oh my goodness! Japan wow. and uh, I mean it, it was amazing, it, and it was just another group of people that I could become teammates with and 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 gain camaraderie from, and and it was just so funny at lunch every single day in between training sessions, just the accents and and the languages just shooting across the table. It, it was just, it was just amazing just to become friends with, with people um, who as of a couple months ago, who, who have gotten more gold medals in Beijing. And, and I, and I watched them and I got to cheer them on. Um, uh, I'll, I'll shout out my friend, Corey Peters. He, he won gold, gold medal for New Zealand wow. in the downhill, downhill mono skiing, which is, um, which you have a you have to have a little bit of a screw loose to want to go <laughs> seven, 70 to eighty miles an hour when you already have a, a a major injury to you. My time out here in Denver and and just trying more sports and ski racing has just been uh, unbelievable. And here I sit again, dumbfounded. <laughs> It just, it's never ending with you. Oh my word, your goals, your aspirations, your accomplishments. This is just so inspiring. Again, for a loss of a better word, I thank you. I thank you for that. Now, before we end this, which I wish we didn't have to, but we are (laughs) getting close here. Tell us about your book. Who should buy it? Is it your story? Do you have a lot of these positive messages in it, et cetera? Share that with us. So when I fell, how I rerouted my life and found strength in a severed spine came out uh, almost a year ago, um, coming up in a couple of days um, through Morgan James Publishing. And this is actually part one of a three-part series I'm working on to, to share my story. And um, what it does, it, it covers a lot of my life growing up, coming up in, in elementary school, high school, into college, and the family I grew up in, the, um, the outdoorsy person I was growing up part-time on a, on a rural farm on the weekends in, in, in Virginia. And um, it talks about my academic struggles. Um, so I know a lot of, especially teenagers, I know that they'll be able to relate to a lot oh, of the great. stories that I tell. Um, and I, I talk about transitioning into college and, and playing sports and fraternity stuff. Um, all the while I have a thread in there that talks about my time in the hospital. So I, I kind of go back and forth okay. between, between these two timelines. And I think, and, and again, this is just part one and it, it goes into 
my accident, what happened in the immediacy after that when I was in the ICU, and especially some of the, the tough nights that I had that have really set the stage for, for who I am in terms of the strength, inner strength that I found. Um, and so again, this is just part one. And I think anybody, especially new paraplegics, new spinal cord injuries, I, th I think that is really the number one audience for this book because there needs to be more books out there like this. Of course. Um, a, a book called GIMP, GIMP by Mark Zupan, um, who is in the, the, the documentary Murder Ball, which was nominated for an Academy Award, I think, in 2005 or something. Um, but his book inspired me when I had tough times after my right. accident. Good and point. I hope this book, I hope this book does the same. And I just think we need more people to tell their stories, specifically people in, in wheelchairs and spinal cord injuries. But I think one of the most important messages in this book is, is what I learned about something called post-traumatic growth. And it's something that I didn't know about up until a buddy of mine read an early version of my manuscript, who was an author in his own right and a contributor on MSNBC. And I've known him all my life since elementary school. And he came back and he said, look up something called post-traumatic growth, PTG, and see if you can weave this into your book. I started researching it and I was dumbfounded because everything they were talking about post-traumatic growth, which was a phrase coined by psychologists Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun in the 90s, and they defined it as positive change experienced as a result of the struggle with a major life crisis or traumatic event. And this is something that they, the, the, the scholarly research behind it has grown since this phrase was coined in the, the mid-90s. But the idea of, of strength through suffering has been around for thousands and thousands of years, of course. But they've coined it, and it's grown and grown and gotten more traction. And it's kind of pushing back against the stigma of PTSD, which is everybody has, has heard of PTSD, I, I can almost, I can almost course, assume. Yeah. But I, don't, I feel like nobody has heard of post-traumatic growth. And what they found when they, when they interviewed survivors of cancer, of, of earthquakes, tsunamis, people who have lost loved ones, who have just gone through some of the worst traumas in life, that they found there's five areas of improvement that they have discovered. And what I've done in my book is I've broken it down into an acronym called AWAKE. Because right now I feel like I'm living a life where I am fully awake. And those, those letters stand for awareness, warrior spirit, attachment, knowledge of self, and ecstasy. It's the idea Excellent. of, it's the idea of awareness. You're aware of new opportunities, new opportunities and doors in life that wouldn't have been possible without your trauma. For me, for instance, adaptive sports. Warrior spirit, you're stronger because of what you went through. Attachment, new relationships because of of what you went through. For me, all my friends and teammates in adaptive sports. And the knowledge of self is another one that really hit me early on when I, when I was smiling in the ICU hmm. because I realized I was alive. It's this right. appreciation. It's, it's an appreciation for the life you're living and that you're still alive. And then ecstasy just, it's a good word that, that fits the acronym, but it's anything in terms of spirituality, religious faith, and, and all of this stuff, I realized as I was doing this research that this is me. They're talking about me. I, I've, I've experienced some sort of growth or benefit of, of these effects because of my accident. And some take longer to, to come to the surface um, than others. And, and people have different paths to, to, to getting to PTG. But I was just amazed that I was literally the person that they're talking about, and I had never heard of it. So that's kind of what I'm doing with my book. I'm, I'm not saying I'm a psychologist. I, I'm not. I, I am not. But what I am in the purpose of, of this book and is, to, is to spread awareness of PTG and post-traumatic growth and just to, just to introduce it to people because they, it can remind them that 
what you're going through, it might suck right now and it's tough and, and it hurts and it's hard and you think it's not going to get better, but there is hope because statistics have proven that 75% of people will experience um, a, a major life, life trauma and you have a 90% chance of experiencing some sort of one of those five aspects of post-traumatic growth. So you are statistically proven or guaranteed to find some sort of benefit, some sort of silver lining, some new strength from what you're going through. And, and I think that's just one of my favorite things in this book, besides just sharing my story and getting it out there. It, it's just sharing this message of, of that there's growth and that what you're going through, you will get stronger because of it. I sincerely thank you for that. And I think that the audience needs to listen to this interview a minimum of two times. Make note, take notes, write them down. And also, I know that Michael is available if you want to ask him questions or contact him. All that contact information will be in the show notes. This is something that you would want to pass on to people who did not hear this broadcast as well. They need that need that inspiration again. That word that is so so overly used, and yet huh. we all need it. And also what you said about never, never, never giving up. It isn't just a cliche; it's a lifestyle, yep. and this is your lifestyle. And you have been exactly that, an inspiration. And I thank you so much. Everything will be in your show notes as well as how to contact you and also where to get your book, which is When I Fell, How I Rerouted My Life and Found Strength in a Severed Spine. Amazing title. In summary, any last words? Just to remember that there's always hope in what you may think is a hopeless situation. Perfect. And that just to make 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 the choice to rise up and reroute and just focus on your attitude and your effort and you'll be stronger. Reroute, that's a perfect word. Thank you. And thank you so much, Michael, for being on. Never, ever give up hope. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.